absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan. Real special guest tonight, uh, kind of helping us through these times and getting your mind back on golf and give you a little bit of behind the scenes in the PGA Tour. We got Mr. Brendan Steele. Brendan, what's the good word? Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate uh, having a little entertainment myself. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's definitely something that's that's much needed now. So hopefully when people listen to this, uh, they can kind of remember that there still is a PGA Tour out there uh what are you doing nowadays <laughs> with having the next two months off or so you know i'm not doing a lot right now um there's been a little confusion um in orange county here in california where i live with uh what we can and can't do uh as of two days ago they closed the golf course down where i practice and then yesterday they reopened it so i'm going to try to get back out there before they decide to close it again but uh then it was raining today so you know it's been all, all kind of a mess even aside from the coronavirus stuff so um it, it's been uh been a strange week since the uh since the players got canceled we were down in florida me and my wife and my two-year-old daughter and um we'd booked a flight uh in the middle of the night when we found out it was going to be canceled uh we booked a flight out of uh, orlando to fly nonstop back to la and uh on the way to the airport we both kind of panicked and decided we didn't want to do it so we uh just uh, took the rental car and started driving across the country and took about four days to drive home. So it was a wild ride. That's uh, yeah. So for everyone that thinks that all tour pros are flying first class, uh, I mean, there, there's a perfect example. It was a very, very odd at the players. Um, we, we saw you, we walked about two or three holes. Um, it was, it was a very low key atmosphere. You know, we were a bit psyched on Wednesday night, Thursday, when we heard it was only going to be media over the weekend. And we thought, wow, how incredible is that going to be? I mean, there's going to be like 20 of us out there. Um, and then obviously everything snowballed, and that was the start of the PGA Tour canceling its season. You were the first alternate on the list. You had gotten in. Um, was it was it, uh, was it Siwoo Kim that, that it dropped? Was or was it? C.T. Pan. Okay, my bad. Yeah, so C.T. Pan didn't want to play. And then so you got in. Um, you know, there were people that didn't even complete their round. Just a, a very odd atmosphere there, especially at the tour's signature event and, and kind of their home course. What was that like for you playing, knowing that the next day there's not going to be any fans and, and possibly even having some inside knowledge that there might not even be golf the next day? Yeah, I mean, we, it was such a weird event. It was such a weird day, even weirder for me because I was first alternate. So I got there at 6 a.m. and I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I get a chance to play. Um, but when I headed there in the morning with everything that had happened the night before with the NBA and um, with President Trump's um, announcements and everything, I, I wasn't even sure that we were going to play any golf. So I got there early and, and just kind of buckled up for, for whatever could happen. And um, I found out around 1240 that I was going to be playing at, uh, at two o'clock. So I'd already been there for seven hours and then they said, okay, you're going to play in an hour kind of thing. So, um, very strange day, but the atmosphere was very odd. I mean, it felt like there was nobody there. Um, and the energy was very low and, uh, it felt kind of like maybe just a practice day at a normal tournament. So it was very, very strange day. And then, um, 
you know, I thought once they said no fans that we'd at least finish that and, and maybe not uh, play the following weeks. But obviously the situation's changing very quickly and day to day, hour to hour. So um, it, it just it was very odd all the way through. And um, I, I'm certainly happy to be home now. It was a little uncomfortable to be that far from home. Yeah, that's that's the truth. I actually had a flight leaving that Saturday night, and then uh, Derek, who also works in the pod with with myself, uh, we both switched our flights to Friday, and we couldn't get anything early. So I had a Friday at like at ten o'clock, and we were like, uh, you know, what do we do? So we went out, and we rented some clubs, and played some golf at this little municipal course we found, and, and you know, tried to kill some time. But you're right, it was so super odd. And I want to backtrack to something you said before. You said in Orange County, there's 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 a bunch of kind of misconception out there as to what's open and what's not, and is it mandatory for things to be open, and is it just suggested? So you had said that your course was closed, and then it kind of reopened, and we did the same exact thing out here. Uh, my home course, we were told it was going to close, so we went out and played a you know little rinky-dink nine-hole yesterday, and then we come across some guy, and he's like, oh, do you know that Hideaway's open? I was like, uh, no, we were told it's closed. He's like, oh, well, there's people lined up there. So it, it's kind of... Uh, you know, the, 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 the not knowingness is the scary thing. And you kind of alluded to that as to why it kind of led you to, you know, drive across the country and take four, four days to get home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been weird. You know, I went to the golf course. I just took my daughter out there a couple of days ago just to get outside. And, um, when we were there, one of the other members said, Oh yeah, they just, uh, the Orange County health office just called my office, um, and said that, all businesses were going to be shut down. So expect Shady Canyon to be shut down. So we get an email that night saying it's shut down. And, um, and then yesterday um, we heard that Orange County had kind of like uh, misinterpreted something. And, and then uh, so they don't need to shut down, but they just can't do food and carts and stuff. So we can go hit balls and we can walk and play, but there just won't be food and drinks and carts and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's always kind of changing and, and very strange, but um, we're certainly happy to have it open right now. Now, with nothing on the horizon and, and literally nothing till, you know, after the PGA Championship. So the first time we might be able to get something is like May 18th. OK, um, that's that's got to be one of the longest breaks of your career. Am I right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's a, a full off season. You know, if we do start, then it would be a, a full long off season for me. The The weird part is I don't really feel like I'm capable of practicing and working out and doing the things that I normally do in an off season. So I'm trying to figure out ways that I'm going to be able to stay sharp. Um, now that the course is back open, I can at least go and do some practice uh, for now. Uh, I did buy a mat and a net off of Amazon yesterday so that I could put it in my garage and, you know, maybe set up my track man and hit some balls in there. I got to make a lot of space. There's no room in there right now, so I don't really know what I'm going to do. But just trying to come up with whatever contingency plans I can. Um, the gyms are all closed here, so I ordered some adjustable dumbbells and stuff like that. So uh, I'm uh, just flying by the seat of my pants. Yeah, that that is this is the episode of uh, PGA Tour pros are more like you than you think. We're all going through this same exact thing. I mean, I've been chipping balls in the backyard. You know, I've got the the net set up in the garage. It's it's literally bizarro world in the world of golf right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think anybody's exempt from it. You know, Phil's got a nice little short game area in his backyard so he can go do some stuff, but he's not hitting drivers back there. So, you know, I don't know. And, and that's probably the best setup there is that I know of. I've got a, a few friends on the LPGA tour that have um, that have kind of taken over some of the the men's mini tours in the areas that they live that are still going on. Is there anything like that out in California that that you'd get involved in to kind of keep the game sharp? Any mini tours that are going on, or maybe even just you know small money games with with other friends that are decent players? I don't know that anything's going on out here. There may be. Um... <clears throat> I probably wouldn't do anything like that, but um, I definitely would like to get out with my buddies and have some games. And I feel like that always keeps me sharp uh, from a playing standpoint. Um, I like to play a lot, play in those games, pay attention a little bit, and then, you know, go do my work uh, on my own with, uh, you know, technique stuff like uh, putting down a chalk line or, you know, anything like that and actually like working on my stroke. But there's kind of a, a balance that you need to strike there between, playing and practicing yeah um i've found that when i just practice a lot uh the playing isn't there and so even though i'm hitting the shots how i want to and my stroke feels good and stuff like that i'm not seeing how much the ball is going to curve or how much it's going to hit the wind or how much it's going to release or my reads maybe aren't as good there's a, a lot of different things that go into it maybe even shot selection isn't quite where it needs to be and it's all these kind of intangible things that that you don't really think about um, practicing, but uh, it definitely seems to help me to play a lot and, and to play with my buddies and play in those games. Now, normally, are you more of a range rat or are you more of someone that wants to just go out and play? And like you said, see what the ball is doing on the course, see how it reacts. What's your normal day to day practice regime like? Not in a situation like, you know, we're dealing with now. I would say in a normal off week, if I just have one week off between events, I'll come home, I'll be off on Monday, the course is closed, um, maybe off on Tuesday, and then by Wednesday, I at least want to be hitting some balls, um, doing some practice, uh, maybe play Thursday, go down and see my coach, um, Chris Mason in San Diego on Friday, uh, for spend a couple hours with him and then maybe play one day and practice one day over the weekend. Um, and when I practice, I probably, as a rule, if I don't play, I probably only practice for like three hours. Um, that's about as much time as, as I need to feel like I'm making progress or that I can at least pay attention for. So it's not a situation where I'm out there for, you know, six, eight, 10 hours every day. Uh, grinding away. If I'm at the course for six or eight hours, it's because I've played and I've goofed around a little bit. Now, has that changed at all from when you first started your professional career? Did you feel like, you know, in the beginning I was giving more time to it? Nowadays, you kind of, you know, obviously being one of the elder statesmen on tour, you kind of know your body inside and out. You, you, you know what's working nowadays. You're not really searching for things. So did you see any change as you've gotten older and matured more on tour? I would say the biggest change isn't necessarily in the amount of time that I spend. Uh, there is a big difference, I would say, in the amount of time I spend. But the time that I spend now is a lot more quality. Um, in the past, when I was younger, I thought if I hit 500 balls, I would just be better tomorrow. It didn't really matter what I did. You know, like the secrets in the dirt, just hit as many as you can. And, and hopefully that'll help you out. Now it's a little bit more like if your swing's good, go work on other stuff. You know, if your putting's good, go work on other stuff. So you, you need to be constantly like evolving your game and working on different chip shots, 
different flights on your wedges, different ways to shape shots, um, those types of things. And then sometimes you're, you're struggling with one part of your game. So you make that a focus, but, um, I've been guilty in the past of being a really good driver of the ball who then hits a lot of drivers on the range, which is kind of ridiculous. Like it's move on and go do something else. And I've, I've tried to do things like that to adjust, um, and, and get a little bit better. So it's usually for me, lag putting, chipping wedges, different flights on your irons. And, um, it's, so I would say it's, it's a lot less time, but it's a lot more focused time and, and it's a lot more productive time. Gotcha. So more quality over quantity nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you are a big kind of, you know, gear junkie, a little bit of a club tinkerer or so. And so I want to just kind of pick your brain as to what's in the bag right now and and how long you think things will stay in the bag. Um, Can we work from putter backwards and what are you gaming right now? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I am somewhat of a tinkerer, I would say, but it's usually only with certain things. Um, putting is one of them. I've had I've had a putter, um, a T12 Scotty Cameron in there for the last six months, which is pretty good for me. Like that's that's not too bad. <laughs> that's a good amount of time. Um, the the Camerons have always been pretty good to me. Um, I've had some different models that are are kind of bigger and very stable, uh, high MOI type putters. Um, and this just kind of falls in line with that. So that's kind of their spider version, um, of their new model. Um, as far as wedges go, I've been playing the same kind of wedges for, uh, gosh, the last 12 years, I would say I haven't changed. I just, just get new grooves every three months, something like that. Um, and I've got a 62, a 58 and a 52, um, so a little different gapping there than, than a lot of guys have. Yeah, that is, um, that is different. Are those all actually those specs or are they, is it a 62 bent to something or is it actually so 62? Right. So it's a 60 bent to 62, okay. uh, with low bounce. And then it's a, uh, 58 that's at 58 with high bounce. And then it's a 50 bent to 52 to add some bounce to that one as well. Um, and the reason for all of that was originally I just played 52, 58 when I first turned pro and coming out of college and stuff like that. And then when I got onto the, uh, nationwide tour at the time, um, I hadn't seen runoffs cut as tight or pins as tight to the edges or greens as firm as, as they got out there. So I realized that having a three iron and a four iron wasn't as important as, having that extra wedge with a different bounce where you felt like you had a high lofted wedge that you could help out of all different conditions. So for example, the high bounce wedge, the 58, if it's in the rough or the bunker, or if it's really soft or grainy, you use that higher bounce, but it's still got enough loft to get up in the air. And then the 62, if it's sitting down in the rough, or if it's a little bit firm, or if the sand is firm or things like that. If you have a really extreme shot, you can use that 62 with lower bounce. Um, so I just kind of added that in and then tweaked a little bit of, of what I have on the other side, um, made my four iron a little stronger, three iron a little stronger. Uh, so it's kind of in between a two and a three and a, and just a little bit of a stronger four so that I didn't have to have two, three, four. And so that helps out obviously a lot with the gap. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're more concerned with the yardages and the specs on the clubs as opposed to what clubs they actually are. Correct. Yeah, exactly. I, um, have played 
all sorts of different setups. I the place where I really tinker quite a bit is kind of three wood, five wood, two iron, three iron stuff like that. I carry a lot of stuff with me, and I change uh, based on course setup. I may even change day to day based on like if we're playing in the afternoon and it's hot and windy versus in the morning it's kind of a little bit softer and and uh, and a little damper and and the ball's not going to go as far. Uh, so I, I do mess around with that stuff quite a bit. Like sometimes I have, uh, I'll play two five woods. I've done that in the past where it's like one of them's just really hot and one of them's not. So one of them plays like a three wood and one of them plays like a six wood kind of thing. So it's, it, it can get a little funny, but, um, and then sometimes I'll, I'll just play a driver and two driving irons, like a 17 and a 20 degree. Uh, and not hit three wood at all, like a place like Valero or the British Open or, you know, places like that where it gets windy and it's firm and you just need to get it low and hot and in play and it's going to run out a lot. So I, I kind of travel with like that 17, the 20, um, a three wood, a four wood. Uh, we call it a six wood. It's like a 20 degree high lofted five wood. So I carry all sorts of stuff with me and just uh try to figure out what's going to work for the week and and sometimes you feel like you need 15 clubs and sometimes you only need 12 there will be times when we go like we don't even need any of these other ones i don't know what we're going to put in there so uh it can be kind of funny sometimes now you had mentioned valero which was obviously the side of your first pga tour win um and then obviously you kind of ran the tables for years at the safeway open um you know it seems like those courses those type of conditions really kind of suit you do you do you maybe attribute that to growing up in Idlewild, you know, growing up in like a, you know, a mountainous California town. Um, I'm assuming there was always wind to, to play with there. Does that have anything? Am, am I getting at anything now as far as, you know, a, a kind of horse for a course type deal? Yeah. So it's funny. I think, you know, I played a lot in college and even as I was growing up in uh, Beaumont, which is between Riverside where I went to school and Palm Desert. And they had Q school at a course called Oak Valley, uh, which I played a couple times there. And then um, we had our uh, at UC Riverside, we had our tournament there my senior year. And then we had our tournament a couple of years across the street um, where the SCPGA headquarters used to be. And that is one of the windiest places you can go in the world. I mean, it's right down the road. If you've ever been on the 10 coming out of Palm desert where all the windmills are, it just keep going about 20 miles and you play these two courses. So I would say that's probably where I learned to play in the wind. Um, although that being said, I've never liked playing in tough conditions until recently. Um, and Keegan Bradley and I always joke about it because we always want the weather to be perfect. But then we look at the places where we've won and where we've done well, and usually there's bad weather. So we've decided that probably we need bad weather in order to to uh, do our best, but we just don't want it. So um, then when Sony came up this year and, and it was blowing up to 40 miles an hour for most of the tournament, and I played very well, I, I decided that going to Honda this year where it's notoriously windy and very difficult that I was going to be really excited for that. Uh, and I had another good week. So I'm trying to adjust my mindset to where I really enjoy the wind and enjoy the challenge of that. Um, the rain, not so much. Being from California, anytime it rains, I stay inside. I <laughs> gotcha. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's kind of like what Jack said too back in the day, how 
during U.S. Open courses, when the weather's bad, uh, when it's tough, when the rough is penal, or you go to the open and it's blowing sideways and it's pissing rain sideways, that he can go through the locker room and just be like, all right, you're done, you're done, you're done, I beat you, you suck, you know, you can't handle this, you're crying. It's got to be kind of like that now that you've been out there for so long. You see these new guys with kind of like these fresh faces, like, oh my God, it's blowing 35 miles an hour sideways, I'm still going to try to you know, play my, my, uh, you know, my left to right fade or so. And they just don't get the fact that you've got to kind of take what mother nature gives you and, and work off of it. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I've had to learn that over the years, I'm still learning, uh, but I've gotten a lot better at it recently. Uh, you just have to, and I've had really no success over at the, at the British open. I think this would work a lot better there. Uh, but you just, no matter what, when you're into the wind, you just have to take enough club. It doesn't matter what the club is. You just have to take enough club and then play a shot. So it might be 130 yards and hit six iron, but don't try to hit eight iron and let it get eaten up in the wind. You have to just be like, I'm going to hit six iron. I'm going to do, you know, whatever it takes to play a shot here, but I know it's enough club. Um, and that's what was happening at Sony. We were hitting five and six iron from, you know, 150 yards, 160 yards depending on where the wind was um and you just kind of get a feel for for how to do it um but it it can be can be really tricky if you just try to play like it's 30 miles an hour wind it's 160 yards i'm gonna play at 185 and that should get there and it's like it's not that simple because you hit a 185 hard and it gets up in the air and it'll go 150 yards and you'll just like not be able to to compute it at all yeah, I mean, it's yeah, obviously it's tough. It's kind of you're almost going back to like your pre-amateur days or, you know, guys like me uh, that get stubborn. I'm like, well, I always hit this club here. Let me just swing a little bit harder. And then you're imparting yeah. more spin on it and it goes up in the air and it dies more and then it drops out of the sky. One of those deals. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, anybody who plays in a lot of wind, I mean, I think just take enough club and then you have to decide whether you're going with the wind or against the wind as far as your ball flight too, as far as your shape goes. So it's one thing if the wind's in and off the right and you move it right to left, it's another thing if you move it left to right, right? So it's going to take uh, a lot more out of it if you fade that shot back against a right to left wind. Um, and that can be really hard to figure out what's going to happen there as well. So um, all of that stuff comes into account and it can all make you look really foolish. Yeah, and people, you know, think it's just out there swinging clubs. I mean, they don't really realize how much goes into caddying and, and how much goes into each shot when you're out there. Um, now, I told you before, we did a little Instagram Live, so we've got that running right now. We've got some questions coming your way from the people out there. Um, Arrows and Irons says, what is Brendan's worst shot as a golfer as well as his best shot? I'm assuming he means during your pro career. Like the worst shot I've ever hit? I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. I've hit a few shanks, so I would say those qualify. Um, I hit one at a WGC down in Mexico a couple of years ago. I shanked one off of 17, the little par three that um, if anybody's just watched that event a couple weeks ago, I shanked one there up over the grandstands. So that, was, that wasn't great. I'd say that goes right off the top of my head. Um, best shot, I mean, under the circumstances, I'd say the putt to win Valero uh, was probably my best. Uh, I had about seven feet for par to win the tournament and told myself that as long as you hit a solid putt on your line, you can live with yourself at the end of this. But 
if you don't, if you just kind of wimp one up there, you're never going to be able to live it down or you're never going to let yourself live it down. You'll be thinking about it for the rest of your life and staying up at night. So uh, I hit a solid putt, got on my line, went in the middle of the hole. So that I would say that was uh, that's probably the best one. Okay. Uh, Big Head Matt says, who's your favorite guy to be paired with on tour? Ah, there's a few. Uh, the two that I always say are Charles Howell and Adam Scott uh, for a lot of reasons. But the guys are really good guys. They play quick. They have great golf swings. They play well. They're very friendly. They're encouraging. Uh, they don't get super mad. They stay out of your way. They just do everything you could ever want out of a, a playing partner. So those two guys are always awesome to play with. I'm not going to ask you who you dislike playing with, but what traits um, of people that you dislike playing with do they show that really kind of get under your skin? Um, anybody who's really picky about where people stand, um, you know, moving everybody around, whether it's players and caddies or fans or whatever. It's fine if there's occasionally somebody that's in your way, but it's another thing when it's like you get up onto the tee and you got to start your caddy or you have to start moving everybody around. Um, so I don't like that. Um, anybody who's super slow, obviously that's not good. Um, and then the guys that get really mad, it just brings the mojo down in the group, um, makes it uncomfortable, makes it kind of quiet. And I'm pretty talk talkative, pretty chatty. So probably too chatty for most people. Um, so anytime somebody's mad and we're not really talking, that's, uh, that's not my best situation. Gotcha. Um, so we played, I played 18 holes with my buddy D Lou who helps out on the podcast and I gave him nine strokes. He, he earned another stroke by pushing my cart up one of the fairways. So, <laughs> so I gave him 10 strokes and I ended up beating him by an additional 10 strokes. So I beat him by 20. I would like to know one of his because his he has a question that refers to this. I would like to know how many strokes you would have to give him in order for a match to be competitive. Well, what do you play to? Um, I don't keep a handicap, but I, but but honestly, probably between six and a half and eight, I would say. Okay, so this can be tricky because it depends on how we're how we're playing. Because if we play my club shady canyon from the black tees you're going to need way more than you would if we play somewhere that doesn't have any trouble off the tees and we play from the whites or he would need way more because you're yeah, asking me how there, many I'd if have there's to give trouble him, right? off if there's trouble off the tee forget it he's done yeah so like this this he's is wild. what i always try to explain to people too it, it's not it's not necessarily what would it be uh, for a certain person, it's, well, what are the tees? What's the course? And then are you playing match play or stroke play, right? Because stroke play, like, he's dead. Because I can just right. make him keep reteeing and hitting it into the bushes, you know? <laughs> so, um, I mean, if we if we had to go play and he had to play his ball out, stroke play, he'd probably need 40. Wow. I was going to say 60. Maybe, yeah, maybe more. I don't know. I haven't seen yeah. him hit a shot. So maybe 40 is not enough. You don't want to see him <laughs> hit a shot. We, we went Instagram live yesterday, and one of our friends that plays in the LPGA tour was roasting him on his, uh, not only his swing, but also his course management. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, maybe an easier thing to figure out is I have buddies that I play with that are around an eight, and they get, they get 14 shots from me but we play a tee box up and we play match play. 
And then mm, if they play that good, they have a chance, but they probably lose more than they win. Okay, that makes sense. Um, another question coming in says the difficulty, I guess your difficulty of, of dealing with and handling slow play on tour. And they specifically referenced the 18th at Sony. We know you finished runner-up um, in a playoff uh, there. How do, you, how do you stay mentally strong during that? How do you stay mentally tough when, when uh, I mean, I know human nature is really just about like, come on, like hit the shot already. I know it drives me insane when guys are standing over the ball for 20, 30 seconds. And, and even though it's not affecting me, like I feel my temper starting to rise. I feel like this fire inside me starting to grow. So how, how do you deal with that when you're on the course and it occurs? Yeah, so that, that can be really tough because it can get you out of your rhythm because you're ready to go. So you might hit your shot a little faster even after they've hit. Um, which is so weird. You would think you'd take more time because they're taking more time. But I find that a lot of the time I, I play a little faster because I'm like, come on, let's go, let's go. So I'll end up hitting the shot too quickly. So I try to slow myself down and make sure that I get into to what I need to do. I feel like the only time where I need to go slowly is I take a little bit of time with my reads, but then getting into the shot, I need to take like an extra second or two behind the ball just to really make sure I know where it's going. But I'm talking like, one to two seconds. Um, and then referencing 18, uh, obviously that was super uh, difficult circumstance. We are out there playing in brutal conditions all week. And then uh, to have, have to wait, I think we waited, you know, 10 minutes or something to hit the tee shot, hit a good tee shot. And then the second shot, uh, Ryan Palmer had gone for the green and hit it off the scoreboard. It went into the houses, I guess, but maybe they thought it was in the grandstand. So, um, that took about 15 minutes. I think it ended up taking us about 45 or 50 minutes to play the hole. So that obviously wasn't ideal. Um, but you know, I was, uh, I was playing with Cameron Smith. He was having to do the same thing and, uh, he made a great birdie to force a playoff. And unfortunately it didn't go my way. So you just have to have to roll with this stuff. Sometimes you don't have control over what everybody else is doing. Does that stuff, does it bother you less? I mean, obviously not winning bothers, right? Because, you know, as an athlete, as a competitor, that's the end goal, right? The end goal is to win. Uh, you know, I think the secondary goal, the sub goal is to, you know, enjoy yourself when you're out there. Is is playing on tour nowadays more fun for you than it was maybe back when you started and were, were grinding in the beginning to keep the tour card? Uh, No, it's not. <laughs> still still just it's a job funny. yeah it, it's funny because it's it's the lifelong goal and the dream and everything and then it is such a grind all the time and there's very few really good moments and the moments are so fleeting because you end up playing another tournament right away so like keegan and i were talking about this not that long ago and i thought he made a great point he said you know if you're a great player you hope for maybe five or six great moments in your career. And I thought, oh my God, he's right. Like, that is so sad. Like, we're going to play hundreds and hundreds of PGA Tour events, and you're looking for five or six good moments. And then come a week later or two weeks later, you're going to forget about it. Or, or everybody else, at least around you, is going to forget about it, and they're going to move on to the next event. So it's uh, it's pretty wild, but it's definitely a, a job for me. Um I love the game at its core. Um, I love going out and playing with my buddies and I, I love the challenge of it. Um, but the, the PGA tour and the stress of trying to perform and prepare and 
knowing that even when you do all the things right or all the put on all the work that you may not get the result is uh, is pretty tough. We had we had done an interview a while back for a, an old blog that I had written for, and, and you had you had mentioned that, and I thought how refreshing and how awesome that someone is actually honest out there because you know there's a there's probably 50 or 60 guys that are just like oh I can't wait for the offseason this is such a grind and the same thing with other professional sports but unlike other professional sports like you referenced you lose all the time in golf even if you suck at baseball like your team's still gonna win 30 40 games a year so there's still like the jubilation of winning or or you getting a hit or something and there's all those little pick-me-ups and in golf, we're just like constantly pounded on as, you know, you didn't win, you didn't win, you didn't win. And then every once in a while, it's like, oh, hey, you did. But the juggernaut keeps rolling. The train keeps, le- you know, the train keeps leaving that station sure. for the next week. So I I, th- I just think it's so awesome that, you know, li- life is not all hunky-dory. You know what I mean? It's I think we see in this day and age, as of right now, that that's coming to fruition. But that's that's so cool that someone's willing to kind of speak their mind. Now, when you go out and you play with your buddies, or let's say you play from play with the guys from member guests, you know, the podcast that you do, which we're going to get into a second. Um, that's got to still be fun, right? Yeah, that stuff is really fun. That's where I really enjoy it. Um, we've got an awesome club here at Shady Canyon, just like really good guys to play with. I've got a really fun group of, of former athletes, current athletes, musicians, whatever that, guys that want to go out and play uh and it just makes it a lot of fun because they're all just guys that love the game and and want to get get fun little team matches going and and talk a little trash and high five each other and all that stuff so that's the stuff that i really enjoy um and i always say with with the golf stuff i i think it's an incredible job and i wouldn't want to do anything else but it is way different than what everybody thinks it is and uh, you know the difference between being on the PGA tour and playing really poorly and being on a bad baseball team is they're not sending you a check on the PGA tour for being on a bad baseball team. So, um, well, you know, like you would, if you were on a bad baseball team. So there's a, there's a big difference there too, but, uh, the games at home are, are amazing. They're really fun. That's what I look forward to. It's just, it's all about the hang. It's all about talking the trash and, and seeing the, the excitement on the guy's face when they actually do hit a good shot. And, um, that's, that's really fun for me. Now I'm a big fan of your podcast uh, with obviously Dave from Lincoln Park, you, and then um, you know Dave's buddy, your buddy now, Mark. Um, when why can't we get more episodes? <laughs> so we're actually <laughs> going to work on some this week. We're going to do uh, do our social distancing episode starting tomorrow. We're going to uh, start trying to record some, but usually it's my fault. Usually it's from me traveling and and uh, you know being being off on the road. And sometimes we do some on the road. We did one at Torrey Pines with Keegan Bradley this year. And, and, uh, it's always fun when we can do that. We did a couple, um, at the PGA championship a couple of years ago as well. So sometimes they come on the road and we do some stuff, but usually it's reserved for a time when we're home and, and then we have to match up everybody's schedule. And, um, you know, it's just a fun little hobby for us. So sometimes we don't, uh, take it as seriously as, uh, as we would if we were doing it for a career. Yeah, no, uh, completely understand. Believe me. So how more did stuff's you... coming? <laughs> okay, well that's that's good. Yeah, and the Keegan Bradley episode, like you mentioned, was was phenomenal. It's it's awesome to hear, you know, pros just kind of let their guard down. You know, people ask all the time. They're like, oh, you do media at these tournaments. How are these guys? And and a lot and honestly, a lot of them are so guarded 
when there's people around, and, and rightly so, because, you know, they have to throw a wall up. They they don't want to be taken advantage of. You don't want to say something that comes out incorrectly. Um, but I think at its heart, all these guys are, are just people. You know, and I think, you know, what, what people are going to get out of this podcast is that Brennan Steele is a normal, cool dude that you'd probably just want to chill with, whether on a golf course you know, or off it. It's just the fact that this podcast talks about golf. Um, I know music is an enormous aspect of your life. How did you meet up? Well, I, I know the answer, but let the our listeners know. How did you meet up with, with Dave Phoenix from, from Lincoln Park? How did that collaboration come about, that friendship? Yeah, so probably uh, five or six years ago now, um, I went to, I'm good friends with Jason Silbel, who now writes for Action Network and uh, it's written for ESPN and Golf Channel and uh, just a really good dude and really close friend of mine. Uh, we went to a concert in um, at Hartford during the tournament there. And then uh, I told him a couple weeks later, hey, I saw that Lincoln Park's going to be playing in New York when we were there for the playoffs um, on like a Tuesday night or something, just like perfect, perfect day for us to go. Um, and he goes, yeah, I actually know the bass player for Lincoln Park, so let's definitely go. We'll go meet him and we'll hang and whatever. And so we went backstage and met up with Dave and Dave and I started talking and realized we lived 20 minutes apart and he loves golf. And so we started playing a little golf together and now we're super close friends, do this podcast together and all sorts of different shenanigans. So it's, uh, it's been really cool. Um, it's, it's always funny. Golf is such a great vehicle, uh, to meet people and, um, you know, all walks of life. They, they just love the game. You know, once you catch the bug, it's, uh, it's a big part of your life. It's pretty funny. And uh, he's introduced me to other rock stars and guys that are uh, you wouldn't expect to see on a golf course that are just absolutely obsessed with it. And uh, it, it's really fun. Uh, but that's how we met. And uh, it's been a, a, a nice relationship that we've uh, we've had. He's helped me with uh, some of my putting stats. He's helped me with some of my mental game. Uh, it's not not the stuff you'd expect out of a, out of a rock star, but uh, it's it's been pretty cool. Well, I'm sure just like anything, with someone that has expertise in a field, there is some sort of collaboration that can occur because, you know, he's performed in front of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people before at festivals and you do your job in front of, you know, 25, 30,000 people. So there's that kind of connection of being experts in, a, in an elevated uh, job, if you will, or at least a high profile job, I'm assuming. Yeah, definitely. And, and we've talked about... Um you know, him being on stage and, and, uh, when he gets lost in like a song, when he's making a mistake, you know, and, and it's very similar to when you make a mistake, <clears throat> excuse me, very similar to when you make a mistake, uh, with a golf shot in that whenever he's just reacting, he doesn't have any problem. Whenever he's thinking like, wait, what do I do now? How do I, where do I go from here? Oh, is it in, is the chord change in D or E or where does it, and then he's in trouble. And it's the same with me. Like if I'm reacting to a shot and just like getting in there and feeling like, this is how I want this fade to come off. This is how hard I'm going to hit it. It's probably going to be pretty good. If I get in there and go, now, how do I hit a fade or what do I want to do to do this? And I'm getting kind of technical and too much thought involved, then it, it's not going to work out so well. So it's funny that just these little parallels that we have, even though we're doing something totally different. Yeah, and that's a, that's what's so difficult about golf is it's the one sport that's non-reactionary. So you have so much time to think, and your brain literally takes over. 
um, when you're up on stage and the adrenaline's flowing and the crowd's going nuts and you're lost in the song, I mean, you probably sound exactly like you do after 20 takes when you're recording an album, you know, but if you're, if you're sitting there thinking of, okay, what's my next note, what's my next note, you know, then obviously you, you look like a, you know, a 50 handicap up, up on bass. Yeah. Uh, even with, uh, even with songs that he's written and, uh, played forever, you know, so it just, uh, it's, it's amazing what your mind can do to you, no matter what you're doing. Yeah. It's very self-sabotaging the mind at times. Um, when you're on the course and you're playing with buddies and stuff, and I know music is a big part of your life. Like I said, what are you guys listening to out there? Does it depend on who you're playing with or do you have kind of a set playlist when you play that you like to hear? It, it definitely depends on who you're playing with. Um, you know, I like, I'll go play, um, Dave and I have gone to play with, uh, Matt Sanders, who's the lead singer for Avenged Sevenfold M shadows. And he's like, this big tattooed guy that you wouldn't think ever loves to play golf, but he's obsessed with it. And then he'll put on some really heavy stuff, you know, when we cruise around and then you go play with other guys and they want to put on country or rap or, you know, whatever. I play with some hockey players and they're putting on Pearl jam and my morning jacket and they have their whole playlist and it's ready to go. So I kind of let those guys all just pick what they want to do. I, I, I love the image of M shadows out playing golf in California. Like that, that made my day right there. No, it's so so fun. Yeah, he he loves the game. He's really good too. He's a good player and and uh, just an awesome dude. But and he's brought uh, his guitarist out, uh, Sinister Gates, uh, Brian, with him. So um, that's been uh, been a lot of fun as well. So it's cool to have those guys out. Some sometimes we'll go and play uh, M Shadows and and Dave and Sinister Gates, and then it's me. So <laughs> pretty lame. <laughs> that's fantastic like which one of these things doesn't belong if you were just gonna yeah. look at people, you know um yeah, exactly. what 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 new music are you vibing on now what's kind of been in in constant rotation as of late oh man you know i have a lot of trouble with the new with new music um it's always difficult for me i always and i i hate this about myself but um I always end up going back to stuff that I liked in high school and college and stuff like that. And I don't want to be that guy that's like, Oh, this is better. But that's the, I just, that's the stuff that really resonates with me. And I don't know if that's just because of, uh, the time frame, you know, in, in those kind of developmental years, I guess. But, um, the biggest thing for me that's come out recently, I'd say is the new tool album. I'm absolutely obsessed with that. So I was really happy to get that. I was worried about it after 13 years that they wouldn't, come out with something that was great and it it totally blew me away so i've been very very happy with that and been listening to that quite a bit that's funny because i i had brent grant on he plays on well did play on the corn ferry tour when it was still going on when golf was still going on and he mentioned the same exact album we talked about that a little bit and we were going back and forth as to kind of what tool album is, is the best one um and it's funny because you mentioned during those formative years and, you know, I picked one from from 96 and he was like, oh, my God, dude, like that was so long ago. And I was like, OK, well, I was a senior well, in high school, you know, so yeah, that's exactly. why to me it, it was just like, you know, phenomenal. Well, and also that's uh, the best one. So, <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And it is. I mean, I, so, I, so you're right. You nailed it. That's OK, the best well, one. good. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad someone else agrees with me. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I always go back to what I listen to from like middle school through late college. And there's still some bands every once in a while that get my attention because they happen to be in the same vein. Like I'm big into A Day to Remember 
um, and always have, you know, always. I mean, they've only been around for like seven or eight years, but that's like the 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 newest kind of, if you want, hardcore pop, hardcore band um, yeah. that's out there that's kind of got my attention. And I listen to some of these other things. I'm like, oh, dude, this is awful. Like it's it's not even good music at all. Yeah. Um, so I get that. Like I I totally get that the fact that whenever your brain was like most susceptible to to having something create an impression on it that's what always stays hands down yeah and that stuff is all like time stamped for me too like i remember being with certain people when i hear certain songs and where i was and what i was doing and stuff so it takes me back to those places as well for sure so i i guess it's just nostalgia but um i just like it better so <laughs> i don't know but a, a lot of that stuff is like um you know, Nine Inch Nails, Avenged Sevenfold, Lincoln Park, you know, that's, that's kind of where I live and with a lot of tool. And, um, but as far as new stuff goes, the one, the one band that I do like, um, their new stuff quite a bit is Bring Me the Horizon. Mm -hmm. So I've got, yep. and they've actually done some really kind of cool, different stuff. They were super hard and heavy, and then they've, they've gone into a little more different kind of realm, but I, I do like their stuff. I think it's kind of cool. And, um, they're actually like, um, they were super influenced by Lincoln Park. So I guess it makes sense that I, that I would like that, but, um, I'm very into them. I like, uh, of mice and men too. Dave introduced me to those guys and, and, and I'm big into their stuff too. It's pretty heavy and I'll meet up with them on the road sometimes, which is pretty fun. So, um, those are, those are two to check out for sure. Yeah. Of mice and men are fantastic. Um, it's funny. One of my old student teachers, uh, was an enormous fan and he was like dude you're gonna love them like you know please make sure you listen to them and I was like yeah of course so, you know I'll give it a, a, a try and then obviously you know one thing leads to another and I forget but uh the latest album I don't know why I can't um think of the name of it uh it came out like two months ago um geez but whatever their latest album is absolutely phenomenal they're California guys as well yep yeah California guys and actually um Phil, the guitarist, is uh, is a big golfer, so he's just obsessed with the game. So he's uh, we played a few times and got him some clubs, and he's always talking to me about golf. So it, it is funny these guys that just that you wouldn't expect, and they they get into it. Uh, and it, it, I guess it makes sense from the standpoint that these guys are traveling the country, traveling the world, and they've got kind of all day to do whatever they want to do. So. A lot of them are just like, take your clubs and wherever you can play, get out and play around and then you can go do the show at night. I had to look through my iTunes library. Earth and Sky is their latest album, which was released in September. Um, you're right. When, when when you have a job that goes on at like 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, you have all day. I had someone on the pod uh, a while ago, a buddy that lives in Alaska, and he used to be in a hardcore band. So his, his band had opened for Korn, Atreyu, and stuff like that. And he's regaling me with these stories of playing, you know, 36 holes before the show with Atreyu. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, I would have ne like them of all people, you would have never thought, you know, we're golfers. And it's just this awesome thread and this this a healthy addiction, if you will, that that binds so many different people together. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really cool. And it's it's funny just when, um, you know, when you get the bug, you just can't help it. You want to get out there and figure it out. I mean, I know for. For M Shadows, he told the story on our podcast of how he got started, and his like uh, I think it was his business manager said, "Just come out today and hit a ball." And he's like, "Man, golf's lame. Like I played basketball in high school, and like I'm an athlete. I don't need to go play that." 
And he's like, all right, well, you know, maybe just come out and like, show me how good you are. And he was like, okay, I'll go out there. I'll show you. And, and he's like, here I am next to this old fat dumpy guy with a cigar in his mouth. That's just ripping balls. And I can't hit it. And I was just like, I cannot put up with that. So <laughs> he just got obsessed with it and had to try to figure it out. And he's, and he's gotten pretty good. So it's, uh, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, it's the same way that I got tricked into playing with guys that I worked with. We were all wrestlers, and they were like, "Yeah, we play golf." I'm like, "Yeah, well, that's stupid. I don't." And they're like, "Yeah, just you know, come out." And they and you know, it's, it's a longer story, but they tricked me into it. And I was like, "Okay, if you idiots can do this, and I can't do this, there's something wrong with it. Like, I need to learn how to do this right now." And then yeah. you know, 30 years later, it's it's just an addiction, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty wild. Um, before we get you out of here, I want to, I want to talk about your acting career because a lot of people don't know <laughs> that you are in the Screen Actors Guild. I mean, you, you've had a lucrative acting career. Can you go, can you yes. give us a little bit about that? The man behind, you know, the actor behind Brendan Steele. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I did an episode of Bones. Um, it was about, uh, a murder that took place at a miniature golf tournament. And I played myself, uh, along with Hunter Mahan, who played himself. And uh, we had a couple lines. Uh, the lines got cut, but we are still in the show. <laughs> so obviously, uh, we didn't do a great job. But I always blame that on Hunter for why the, uh, the lines got cut. But we are in the, the opening credits. It says my name right there. So uh, I take credit for that. And it was funny when we started getting uh, checks here and there from the Screen Actors Guild. So... <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take it. Whatever, uh, whatever publicity I can get. Can, can I ask you how big those checks are? They, you know, they've ranged. There were actually a couple that were pretty good. We got uh, a couple for like a thousand dollars and then we got some are like 11 bucks. So you just <laughs> never know when you get it, it could be anything. The $11 is like finishing like, you know, 30th on a mini tour event, uh, back in the day, I would assume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Um, all right, Brennan, do me a favor. Let everybody know uh, where they can follow you, where they can kind of keep up with what's going on in, in your life as you make this transition to whenever golf is going to be played again, and also where, <laughs> where they can follow uh, Member Guest Podcast. Yeah, so Member Guest um, is the name of the podcast. that's on iTunes, um, member-guest.com. And then uh, we've got our socials. They're all a little confusing, but if you really want to find them, you can. Um, you can look at at Member Guest and – there's a couple other different things, but anyway, if you're really working on it, you'll find it, uh, for me, um, at Brendan steel golf on Instagram and, uh, at Brendan underscore steel at, uh, on Twitter. Uh, but, uh, we will be doing some member guest stuff during this break. So hopefully we'll be able to provide some entertainment and, and get some stuff out there for some people. Fantastic. I look forward to it. Uh, Brendan, as always, thank you so much for your time. It is greatly appreciated. You got it, Dan. Thanks for having me on. All right, people, so either get busy golfing or get busy dying.